Welcome to the Living the Dream podcast with Curveball. If you believe, you can achieve. Welcome to the Living the Dream with Curveball podcast, a show where I interview guests that teach, motivate, and inspire. Today, I am joined by special guest Jeff Morrow. He has built multi-million dollar businesses without stepping on anybody or screwing over anybody. He is an author. His book is called Profit Wise. And we're going to talk about the accident that almost killed Jeff and talk about the stages of life's journey. Jeff, thank you so much for joining me today. It's my pleasure. Why don't you start off by giving everybody a little bit of background about yourself? Sure. So the novelist Joyce Carol Oates likes to start her books in terms of the way she writes them by by writing the last line first and then working back from there. And so let me do that with you tonight that I'm sitting talking to you right now from Charlottesville, Virginia. The businesses that that we built and and the experiences that led me to write about those in profit wise, how to make more money in business by doing the right thing, the book that that was just released that I, I wrote, those businesses are all in Boston, so I'm I'm now several states away, and and I'll try to try to connect those two for you. So I grew up in Virginia, and in 1998, I moved up with my wife and uh, my business partner, my brother John to buy a bankrupt Subaru dealership just south of Boston. And uh, that was our first business. And and we operated with what we call the undealership philosophy, which is we work really hard to be the alternative to the shenanigans of the typical dealerships. Our advertising is very transparent. We hire a team that, that is totally unexpected in the car business. We have several women technicians, which are very rare. Uh, we have uh, representatives from many groups traditionally poorly represented in the car business. So it's a pretty neat team we have in terms of its diversity and capability and the, the kind of experience that we're able to offer because of those unique capabilities. So that was our first business. And, and then we ended up opening other businesses along the way that were related. We got into some real estate and um, insurance, which was related to the, the, the business we were in, you know, retailing vehicles. So it kind of organically discovered these other, other opportunities. But the... The reason I'm talking to you from Charlottesville is because that takes a lot out of you to do that. And um, we can talk about this or not, but after 20 years of business building, I was pretty fried and, and I hadn't um, monitored my energy level as I was going. And one day I woke up and I just I just didn't, didn't have the interest or the ability to really put in the level of effort that I had that I had done earlier in my life and what really was required to, to honor the responsibilities I had to make sure as a leader in the organization, I was doing my job. So, so around that time, I, I um, had a great management team and I turned over my daily responsibilities to them. And now I coach remotely, not coach in terms of coaching people outside of our team, but I coach our team instead of being the quarterback on the field to use a football metaphor. So that's, uh, that's probably a pretty, pretty good opening, I think. Well, what made you have the philosophy that you have, you know, the undealership philosophy or doing the right thing? Is it faith-based or what made you have the philosophy that you have? 
I think in a business context, there are actually twin motivations. Let me, let me take the, the financially motivated one first. We thought that if we treated people better, both the, the people on our team than the typical dealerships treated their teams, and we treated our customers better, <laughs> that we'd make more money doing that. I think the proof of the pudding's in the eating. We have uh, the businesses that we have now after 20 years since we founded them produce uh, about $130 million a year in annual sales revenue. So it was obviously a model that, that, had, that, that appealed to people and, and we saw that. So, so that, I, I don't want to proceed without mentioning that it, it, was, um, it was a practical business decision that, that we thought that just doing the right thing would be a way to earn a really good living. And, and I discussed some of the techniques of, of how we've done that in the book. But, but I would be remiss not to mention too that part of it for my brother and for me was that we just didn't want to be those guys, um, perhaps the robber barons of the early 1900s, like Andrew Carnegie comes to mind, who, who made vast sums, but caused so many problems along the way and hurt so many people. And then they gave away much of their money at the end but it was really too late, you know, there to to make up to atone for all the for all the environmental destruction they had caused for for the communities they had they had uh, harmed for the families that they had stressed. So we wanted to make sure that our businesses were consistent with our values as people, and, and that we could sleep well every night. And at the end of our careers, whenever those come, that we can look back on them and say, we did it. We did it in a way that that uh, edified people, that built them up and that minimized our environmental impacts and, and tried to soften whatever negative effects naturally result from business activities. So I think, I think that's an equally important component of, of why we did it. Well, let's talk about the accident that, that almost ended the life of a great and moral businessman like you. Well, thank you for the, for the compliment. Yeah. So Shortly after my wife and I moved to Charlottesville, I'd been dreaming of, of riding my mountain bike much more often. I, I grew up mountain biking uh, back in the 80s when I was a kid. We called it BMXing, you know, and, and later you grow into an adult and the, the bikes get a little bigger and they started calling it mountain biking. But I, I grew up on the saddle of a bike uh, from when I was a very small kid. And that's, that's really, you know, just a really enjoyable thing for me to do. So I was really excited after spending all those years under the showroom lights, you know, getting out and actually living a little bit instead of just working so many, so many hours. And uh, I found myself alone on a, on a very remote trail one day and looking back on it probably wasn't a good idea to be out there by myself in the icy conditions that, that were there. But anyway, I, I broke my femur very badly. And um, it's incredible how one moment you can be going along thinking about what am I going to be doing this weekend and making plans for, for the future. And then literally in a matter of moments, your whole life can change. You know, it's the, it's the famous New York minute, which lasts only a few seconds. And I found myself on the ground with my, my right leg orthopedically separated from my body. It was still attached, but not by bone. It was just muscle and, and skin that was was holding it on. And of course, I was bleeding very badly internally. So I wasn't going to last very long out there by myself. And, and by a miracle, my phone was not damaged in the crash. And, and there was actually reception, which is not often the case in these rural parts of the county where, where I live. And um, 
anyway, the dispatch was able to get an ambulance to me eventually. And I wish I had passed out waiting for it because the pain was, was, uh, positively religious. <laughs> it was, uh, I'll never forget. And I still wake up uh, sometimes in the middle of the night with these flashbacks to what that was like. Cause it's a very strange experience to, to wonder whether you can, you can handle another moment of something that uncomfortable. And the answer is you can, because you have no other choice. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's just what you got. But anyway, the, the experience, the reason I talk about it is not to, to gross anybody out, but rather to set up the reason why I wrote the book. And, and I was incapacitated, obviously. It, it took many months to learn how to walk again. So I was uh, stuck at home for, for a long time. And this is an unprecedented time in my life to have that much time available for a project. And, and hopefully that's the last time I ever have that kind of gift of that much time delivered to me. But in any case, I, I wanted to use that time in a way to, um, to return the favor of all the people who'd invested in me. And so I took all the lessons I had learned in those years of building the businesses and, um, you know, the mistakes I had made and the, the trust I had put in people that didn't deserve it and the systems that, that we built because of the, the failures that, that uh, cost us so much money and, and time and pain. I put those in the book to share with other people that they might save some of that, some of that discomfort and, and difficulty and, and take a more direct line. To, to the world that I see for business that really appeals to me, which is people earning a living and also serving the world through their business activities. So that's what the book is about. And um, it, what a terrible reason to have the occasion to write the book, but, but uh, sometimes life delivers gifts in very strange packages. And, and that was certainly one of them. Well, I think this is a perfect time to get into how you talk about life's journey you said life's journey comes in stages. Can you break those stages down and explain? Yeah, I like to think of seasons of life. And, and you can think about those seasons in different ways. I mean, you could divide into four, you know, the actual seasons where, where spring is that time in your life where you're, you have lots of energy and vitality and you're planting seeds, knowing that, that um, those investments will not pay off until sometime later you know, in late summer or fall. And um, you can, you can go that way. I, I like that, that uh, model. The one I discuss in the book, which I'd like to share with you today is um, thinking about my life. I divide it so far, at least into three phases. And the first one professionally anyway, was what I call the growing years, which was right after I graduated from college. And I ended up in a car dealership accidentally, really it was a gentleman that I'd worked for in college or I volunteered, he was a politician who happened to own a car dealership and I couldn't find a job doing what I wanted to do. So he, uh, he knew, he took pity on me and, and offered me a job uh, that was, was gonna allow me to pay the rent and was in the service department of a car dealership. And I acquired a lot of skills related to, to operating a business and operating specifically an automotive business during that time. So I call those the growing years because I was, I was meeting people, I was developing a network, I was understanding how financing worked and what could reasonably expect it of, of um, how quickly it takes to get someone up and running after you hire them. And there's just a million things that I was learning during that time. And, and some years after that, once my brother and I opened up the business and we got rolling a few years in, I would uh, call the phase I entered there the power years. And what I mean by that is that that's when everything kind of came together. So I had still a lot of energy and enthusiasm for what I was doing. And I also had been doing it long enough to know what works and what didn't work. 
work and I, I didn't, I, um, I, I knew I had a better sense of the kind of people that would succeed in our organization. So when I interviewed them, I could better tell who was likely to stay with us and, and thrive. So you think about all those things that, that come together during the power years. And uh, we made all sorts of, of uh, advancements and we, we grew the business during that time. And, and yet no season lasts forever. And now I'm in what I call the third season. And that one is the wisdom years. And this is the era when I don't have quite the energy I used to. I can't put in the hours. I can't work six and seven days a week, long days. I just get tired. I need more naps. I'm not that old. I'm only 49, but, but I just don't have the concentration I used to when I was younger. These are very natural evolutions over the course of a lifetime. And, and that's where I find myself now. So I need to rely more on my good judgment and my patience and, and less on just raw effort and intellect because those things I don't have in the same quantity I once did. Well, you talk about there was a time when you kind of lost your energy and your will to run your businesses. Talk about that time and why you think you got to that point. My definition of burnout is when you just get tired of solving the same problems over and over again. Uh, an alternate definition would be that, that your tasks take more energy out of you than they put back in. And, and both of those situations applied. Any business is going to require consistent effort to keep it moving. And, and that effort and energy needs to come from somewhere. And ideally, over time, you can build a team to do that. But for too many years, that was I was the primary driver of the business. And that just takes a lot out of you. And I wasn't monitoring that. And my caution to other business owners, and, and maybe even to people who aren't necessarily in business, maybe they're just, um, they're maybe I could imagine even a reverend or, or something, a clergy member would also be subject to the same forces that you have to be really careful that, that you continue to enjoy your days. Because if you, you do what I did for too long, which is just take as much pain as necessary to get through and um, put the mission ahead of your own sanity, then um, you can only do that for so long. And, and I had done it long enough and, and when the time came, I was very happy that I'd put the pieces in place in my business to have people that, that were qualified and capable and had been trusted over the years to, to develop their abilities. And I'd seen that they could accomplish what was necessary to move the business forward and, and to make sure that we were making the good choices about advertising and hiring and doing all the things we needed to do well. So I had a team of people that was ready to run when, when I couldn't run anymore. You've also been recognized by big organizations like USA Today and Boston Globe and stuff like that. Tell us how that happened and why they recognized you and what that felt like. One of the things I talk about in the book is how important it is to earn attention for the good things you're doing. 
if you're going to run a business in the way that I'm describing, which is to put people first, to care for the environment, to offer customers an experience that, that is not typical for your industry, you can't keep that a secret if you want the business to do well. So I was very eager to share the, the stories about the interesting things we were doing with media because they like a good story. And, and I thought that it would help us reach the customers that shared our values and that they would appreciate doing business with us if they knew we existed. So I'll give you an example. It's kind of a silly example, but it's a good one for this case that we landscape with goats. Like we literally have goats that eat our poison ivy and take our lawns down and do our fall cleanups. And it's a lot of fun. And, and our team really appreciates it is because it's, it's just neat to, to feed them and, and, and care for them. And of course, customers think it's really neat when they visit and they see this going on. And, and I shared that just with typical media release with, with uh, lots of uh, media outlets like I do whenever we do something I think is really neat. And that was a story that got picked up you know, nationwide just because it was so unusual to have a car dealership landscaping with goats. So the... That, that's the, the reason we did it. But I'll tell you that the personal experience of seeing those things, it's very flattering when I was younger, you know, to see my name in print. And um, maybe I was, I had the insecurities of a, of a young person who hadn't quite, quite found himself and, and put all the pieces together of his own personality. But as time has gone on, when we have those opportunities now to be showcased in a media spotlight, I, I always direct the attention as much as I can to the team because they're the people that are actually doing the work. They're the people who, who are, they're, they're responsible for the, for the really neat experience that we offer now. And I want to make sure they get the credit and, and that same excitement that I enjoyed many years ago of, of just having some attention for, for doing something well. Besides your new book that was recently released, what other upcoming projects are you working on? Well, I'll tell you, Pursuant to the to the comments I made earlier about uh, wanting to downshift a little bit in terms of um, the the number of things I've taken on, I've I'm very much focusing on the book, and and I don't know. There was a time in my life I was always planning a year, three, five, ten ahead. You know, I was always I was I was the man with the plan, and and that's fine. It served me very well, but I don't know if I want to live my whole life like that. So I'm I'm entirely immersed in. Um, in talking about the book and sharing the ideas with, with people who are interested in, in learning about them and, and um, particularly people who, who have an interest in figuring out how they can apply them inside the institutions where they work or, or the businesses they own. Throw out your contact information for people who want to connect with you. I know we can go to jeffmorrow.com, but give out your social media handles. I, I focus on the website and that's um, and I, I love to hear from readers and and uh, podcast listeners for anybody that's interested in having a conversation about the themes in the book or any of the things we've discussed. My last name is spelled M-O-R-R-I-L-L, jeffmoral.com. And if anybody's interested in the the unusual retail automotive model that we created, uh, probably the best place to learn about that is at planetsubaru.com. Right, jeffmorrow.com, planetsubaru.com. Do you have any final thoughts before we close it out? 
Yes, just just one. It's a request of your listeners that I really believe that that institutions should have love in their model. And what I mean by that is is that I think businesses and churches and schools and and all the other organizations that we have in life should should be there to build people up and and should protect the people and the world in need of protection. And depending on the circumstance we find ourselves in, that can get expressed very differently. And for instance, in our case, because we hire a lot of people, we have over a hundred people on our team, we have a unique opportunity to bring people in to a business environment that traditionally have been excluded. So that's one of the ways we do it. But your listeners in all the different situations, the institutions they represent and work in, they'll have their own ways. And, and I, I ask them right now to think about how they can, they can accomplish the same end where, where they go to work every day. Ladies and gentlemen, Jeff Morrow. Jeff, I want to thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to join me today. Thank you. I really enjoyed it. And listeners, please be sure to follow, rate, review. And for you Android listeners, go to the Google Play Store and download the Living the Dream with Curveball podcast app. For more information on the Living the Dream podcast, visit www.djcurveball.com. Until next time, stay focused on living the dream.